Hello, this is James. And before we get into the episode, I just want to make a quick announcement that at the end of last week's episode, we said we were going to talk about where you can find places to submit your work. But we decided to do something else and come to that one later because it's going to require a lot more research. So this week, Regina and I discuss reading for writing. So how can you read to be better as a writer? What should you read? So all of that stuff is coming up. Also, if you go to the show notes, I have my newsletter there. And I just started something last week, which is using AI as a teaching tool. So what I'm doing is I'm giving AI a prompt to write a short story. I'm putting it on my newsletter and then I'm critiquing AI as a way of teaching myself like, okay, this this is really bad. It's also a way to kind of get back at AI and say, hey, you know what? You think you're so good? You're not. But anyway, that's just me being silly. But it is a paid subscription. So my newsletter every week is free. But I put this at $5 a month and you can join and help critique AI. Basically, AI has no feelings. So you can say whatever you want and you're not hurting anybody's feelings. And I'm also doing this because I don't want to, I can't take other people's work and just start critiquing it. So why not use AI as a tool where I tell it to write a short story and then I go in, I give you my thoughts and then there's a place for you to comment with your thoughts of what you would do differently, what you thought worked out really well, what didn't work out well. So there's one story up there currently and like I said, it's a $5 subscription. It's the lowest Substack will allow me to do. I couldn't do any lower. I feel like I would have, but that's the lowest you can go on this uh, this site. So I hope you join me on there. I'm going to do it every week, at least once a week. And without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. This week on Writing Fiction, Regina and I are going to discuss reading for writing. So reading to get better at your writing. Right. Yep. And we have a lot of stuff to get into. But before that, let's talk bookworms. We have the Valentine's Day issue is still available. It is doing really well. I'm very proud of it. Yes. Great reviews. Yes. Actually, yeah. Somebody just put up another five-star reviews. I don't want to even jinx us by saying anything because <laughs> we're doing it's doing really well. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. The public has spoken for the most part and they love it. Yeah. When is the end of submissions for the next bookworms? I believe it's the end of April. It's it- on the uh, it's on my blog. All right, so that will be at the end of April is the deadline for submitting your rock and roll horror stories. Right. And so that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Lots of fun. All right, so if you haven't picked up Bookworms, please go to the show notes. You can get issue two and four, buy them together. Um, They are both available. One and three are sold out, so you want to get your two and four before they sell out. Have you uh, written anything on your blog recently, Regina? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a newsletter I did put out this past week, and I also just wrote an article on Medium, which that also is in the show notes. It's about the five things, strategies to get you to complete your stories. Now, you're doing great with the with the Medium articles and the, and the uh, what do you call it? The, newsletter. Uh, newsletter. I can never think of that name. Uh, I, I, do, I will have a new YouTube video. Up by the time this goes to air. That's what I was going to bring up next. So um, do you want to give and us mine, a sneak peek of it? Yes. I did an extreme horror haul oh in boy. my town. Like really effed up books. How are you finding are, that? Well, I tell the story in my video, but I went by the Antique Mart yeah. in my town. And someone must have just dumped their whole collection. And I bought the first one, and it turned out to be a collector's item. It was signed. It was a limited edition I love of that. Uh, a Jack Ketchum book. And then I went back to the lady and said, hey, when I saw how much I paid versus how much it was going on eBay, I thought, I'm going to go back and buy all of these. So I went back, and she's like, oh, we sold them all. So I was like, oh, shoot. So I was uh, that was weeks ago. And then I was walking down the street the other day, and they had like a for sale cart everything half off and all the books that were part of the collection were in there wow so i don't know maybe she didn't understand what i was talking about so i bought them all and they're like signed first editions limited editions wow 
yeah and i bought them and i think i got i think they were about seven bucks each all right i'm gonna have to watch that video that sounds exciting Which... yes but i but i'm scared if, if i should read them because i don't really read extreme horror well we're like, going to get into we'll talk reading that. for writing and why that may be something you want to do is read yeah, those. So I put up my recent YouTube video is my thrift store book haul. Um, mm-hmm. And it's there's no like theme, but it's just a bunch of books got, I recently picked up. good stuff. Though. I did. And follow us on Instagram at Bookworms Horror Zine. I've been posting little quotes to inspire you if you're kind of struggling during the day. Now, last week we talked about submitting your stuff. That was um, Highland's Fifth Rule. You got to keep submitting until it's sold. And I don't know if you want to talk about it, but you had texted me that the one story you submitted. It's sold. Yes. And so. It's sold. I don't think there's any payment, but I'm going to take that as a seller. It is. Yeah. For charity. Uh, Yes. I just received news that my short story was accepted into Criminali's Garbology, I think it's called. (laughs) He does. He's great. Criminali, if you don't know him, if you love pulp fiction especially, he has a very popular YouTube channel, Criminali, and we can put it in the show notes. Okay. I'll give him a plug. And he has he got a lot of subscribers like really quickly. Like he I mean he was posting a video a day. So his channel really grew. He's really good. He reads he, he must read a book every day. I'm not kidding. He this man really reads, but he reads a lot of pulp fiction and extreme horror and this kind of stuff, uh, transgressive books. And he does great reviews. He's a, a English gentleman. And he, I think it's been like two years in a row. He's done uh, what's called garb August. So in the month of August, he does a read a readathon of trashy books. It doesn't have to be horror. It can be any genre mm-hmm. of trashy books, which is one of my favorite things to read i've always loved trashy books going all the way back and i i participated in the read-along so then he decided to do an anthology of garbagey trashy stories so i submitted one of my stories with another one of my jerky male protagonists and it got in so i'm really happy yeah congratulations that's awesome thank you thank you it was good it was good to, to see that and another i won't i won't give away their name because i don't know if they they announced it yet, but another a booktube friend of mine also got in. So that's, that's great. Cool, that I know of. There might be more. And are you working anything on anything now? I am working on uh, some. I'm working on a Wattpad novella. It's part of a. It's called the um, some Wattpad, which I'd gotten back into. I won a Wadi Award a few years ago, and then kind of got off it. But then I kind of drifted back. I find it's a, a nice place for me to experiment with more uh, other types of genre, like. Uh, paranormal romance and, and and fantasy so they have a novella contest every year it's kind of like uh nanowrimo only it's uh, 20,000 words not 50 so i'm doing that that sounds fun yeah i'm almost at 8,000 words so i'm i'm doing pretty well what is novella is it like 20,000 i think 40,000 40? or less all right is the cutoff all right i got up early this morning and wrote for my clown fear of clowns Oh, short great. story so i'm trying to make the habit of waking up early yeah when's the deadline for that april 1st okay yeah i got plenty of time i just need to get into the habit of doing it every day of editing it and moving yep it. all right let's talk about reading for writing reading for writing i will be probably quoting some things from the joyce carol oates master class that i am taking and she has a whole section called reading as apprenticeship you brought this up and she brings this up. Writers by are shaped reading. by other writers or other or reading. And so which books as a child influenced you? Uh, well, so many, but I, I think going back to before I was even in school, my sister, my older sister, three years older than me, taught me how to read by reading uh, mad magazines. I noticed you had your mad magazine digest on your last haul. your yeah, like I said, I, I love those. I love those. And those, I, I that's how I learned how to read, is I would sit in a big chair with her, and she would read the Mad Magazines, like the especially the movies. Oh, yeah. They're so good. And the illustrations. It also taught me how to draw. And I know you draw, too. It's just 
comics, I mean, pretty much beginning with comics, but Mad Magazines, my cousin Billy, who's about, he's probably 10 years older than me. So he was like the cool older kid mm -hmm. when I was little. He uh, had an incredible collection of Mad Magazines going back to the 60s. And we would just devour those. So that's, maybe that's why I like trash. Because that was my first, <laughs> my first exposure to fine literature. But I think having a coming from a family that read absolutely influenced me as a reader. I was not as much of, I kind of, it, it took me a while to get in, into my own reading, but uh, it was modeled in my household from my sister and my dad. My father read constantly and it was always like paperbacks, uh, uh, I remember reading like uh, like the, the movie. He would buy like those, um, what do you call it when you write it for the movie? The adaptation? The movie. Adaptation. So yeah. I, I remember we had The Omen uh, reading that. So it got me into horror at an early age. A Poseidon Adventure, that was another one. And they would have those wonderful black and white stills from the movie inside. Yes, I love so those. I love those. So for me as a kid, it's like a bridge between the visual into the written word, I think was very important. I, I think, I guess my point is, and they say this, I know, you know, when I was uh, in college and stuff, that kids will read if you model reading in front of them as an adult or as like parents or guardians or whatever. Right. So I know from my experience, I did not have that upbringing because my family now like with my kids we we are a reading home i mean my son leo reads all the time uh and that's great i know from me growing up that was not modeled and not a this is no like whatever shade on my family it's just they didn't read my dad always worked my mom was yeah. house you know uh i don't remember seeing my, uh, my brother and sisters read i don't remember that and so I did read, but it was like more like probably from school and the, the books that I read that interested me. And this is also something I talk about with Sarah because she's in the education world and you know this too, sure. that they don't really do a good job. Maybe today they do, but back when we grew up, everything was assigned and they weren't like, hey, find a book you like to read. Here's the no. book you're going to read. And that didn't work for me. Yes, I, I did not like the, the books that we were assigned in school until maybe in high school when I had a really good teacher and and then I, the, the light bulb kind of came on for me. But I remember reading Johnny Tremaine, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. They always seemed to be war stories. <laughs> as a girl, I just wasn't interested. I'm sure they're great classics. What was the other one? The Jungle I, I just never really enjoyed those books, but um, and the the books that I found that I did enjoy was like Treasure Island. Yes, um, I enjoyed the Hardy Boys. Oh well, I I read a lot of Nancy Drews. Yeah, I, that was a, and once I started getting into books, then I became really into the aesthetic of books. I'm sure you uh, remember the book fairs. Oh yeah, school. I actually did one of my newsletters talks about that. I hope they still do that. They have they do. To. They do. It's not as exciting as at least I remember it. Because mm -hmm. I wrote this in my newsletter. So if you want more information to get into it. But I'm just saying today we live in a world where everything is at your fingertips. And I can get any book I want from Amazon or whatever. Back then it wasn't like there were big box chain, chain you know, these chain stores. It was like you had a, in the Chamonix Mall we had B. Dalton and Walden books. And you didn't always yeah. see everything you wanted in there. And there was no order it online. No. So this book fair was where things you would see that you would never see anywhere else. And yes, it was and exciting. It, just, it was so exciting. And I remember when I was a kid, it caused a bit of a controversy at my school. When they introduced, this would be in like the late 60s, the uh, the pop-up books. Uh -huh. Remember pop-up books? I remember, yeah. I don't know if they still do pop-up books. They do. But I loved it, but I remember the teachers and parents were like, this isn't, this is not teaching them how to read. It's just like a gimmick, but it's like, it's fun. Let us be kids. Yes. Jeez. Make reading fun. That's why if a kid wants to read comics, let them read comics. Yes. I mean, I remember uh, uh, Joe, my husband talking about his childhood. His dad was very, 
extremely focused on their education. And it did pay off because they all went to like college and Ivy League schools and things. But the only reading material they had in their house was the encyclopedia, which is pretty boring. Yeah, that it is doesn't very boring. Make, it doesn't make you want to read. Kids will read and they will grow as readers if you give them an adventure story or or a mystery or a romance or something that's fun and entertaining, yeah, not and just th- informative. And a lot of problems with the system also was that didn't appeal to minorities because most of the stories that were assigned were about white people yep, in a, an environment that anybody who was a person of color had no reference to these books and, and they didn't care. And today that they have that that's changed. That's changed. I mean, but I hope it's it's changing. Yeah. But back then it wasn't anything. So having anybody yeah. get interested in reading, you know, Charlotte's Web or I don't know. I'm just <laughs> you know, well, I something. Loved, I love the Little House on the Prairie books. Yeah, my wife does I, too. I lived in the country and and so I really love that because a lot of the stories were suburban stories, which I guess was average America, but it was as someone who grew up on a farm, I didn't really relate to it as much, but I loved, I mean, I read tons of Archie comics. I was obsessed with Archie. There were these, and I still have, I have a few of them in my collection. They were uh, love comics. Yeah. I don't love those. Oh gosh. Well, just like, I guess now I'm being gender, I guess, uh, uh, stereotypical here, but they would have the adventure comics or the superhero comics for the boys. Of course, the girls can read them too, but they would have uh, like romance comics, right. all kinds of different love stories. And the, the like the Liechtenstein paint, uh, paintings are created from a lot of these love comics. Yes. They're hilarious. But I read those and I, there used to be an incredible flea market in Perkiomanville. I don't know if you ever went to that. I don't know if there still is, but it, this was a massive flea market in Perkiomanville, Pennsylvania. And they would have those tons and tons of comics with the covers like torn in half. Yeah. And they were a penny each. And we would just go and buy tons of these love comics, Archie's, and then also superhero comics. Like I love Metal Men was my superhero comic. And we just read them constantly, like constantly. So I think that I became a reader because it was the environment and I loved it. And it's also an incredible escape as we know. And I would say if anybody out there was not a voracious reader as a child, don't let that sway you. I I wasn't. And when did you start? reading? So my, I can pinpoint it to the Langoliers. Oh no, not the Langoliers. Um, Tommy knockers by Stephen King, a friend of mine. And I was probably right into like the fire. Well, because, well, but not as a kid. I was probably 21. Oh, okay. Much later than, you know, like I read some, but I was not really interested in high school about any of that stuff. And so around 21, my friend gave me a copy of the Tommyknockers and I just read it and devoured it. And I'm like, wow, this, this is what reading can be like, yeah. you know? And that's where I realized like, okay, so I was never really offered this as a child and I didn't go out and seek it cause it just, I didn't have any love for it. And so then I went and just started reading all the books I was supposed to read in high school. Like I did mm. read animal farm and, and okay, I love yeah. like in my thing, I, I showed catcher in a rye. I love that book, but yeah, I also don't book. think I would have appreciated those books in my high school years. Okay. Like I feel like that is strange that some of these books were offered to you because they're great literature, but I don't think I was mature enough to appreciate them until I was older. Well, that makes sense because we all develop in different ways. And I think it's just that, that one book will open the door. Like for you, it was Tommy knockers, you know, and that is, that's really cool. And then did you go back and, and read all the Stephen King? Yeah. Books? I, I've been reading Stephen King since then. So, um, of course. But, I don't, I've never read Tommy. Knockers. Is it short stories? Or? No, no, it's a big book. It's a big book. He's and there's a, a movie books. that's awful. I think it was a oh, made, right. made for TV movie with, um, I forget his name, but he's in Star Wars now. He's He was in like Law and Order. I forget. Um, mm-hmm. Jimmy Smits, is that his name? Oh, right. I remember him. Yeah, he's he's in Tommy Knockers. Um, but anyway, that's our childhood. And okay. <laughs> if you would like to share yours, you can find us on Instagram. But I think that 
it's never too late to become a voracious reader. And here's my thing. You might not have grown up that way, but now if you want to be a writer, it is very important to read a lot. Very important. And you're going to learn how different writers, this is why I was talking about earlier, the, the snuff film, what do you, what do you call it? Snuff film. No, the, the violent (laughs) books you just got. Oh, extreme horror. Extreme horror. Okay. Splatterpunk. Splatterpunk. You might not like it, but I don't think you should not read them. Like pick one that you think might be interesting and that might have something to learn from it because that's the trick here is you don't know how they're going to craft their sentences, how their story structure is going to be, how they handle dialogue. Those are things you want to pick up when you're reading. Yes. I, well, the advice that I've read from so many different sources is to, and I know Anne Rice said this too, is to read widely, meaning don't just stick to what you know, or one particular author. And this is for writers. If you're a reader, you know, whatever, no one's telling you what you can or can't read, like read widely. So read a current bestseller, read a classic from the 1800s, read something out of the genre that you usually like. Like I picked up, I was at the thrift store the other day and I picked up a Clive Cussler book. I'm sure you've heard of Clive. Yeah. He's the, he does all like water stuff, like submarines and things, right? Yeah. This is a submarine book and it's called Crescent Dawn and it's a thick book. It's been uh, read to death. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to read this book because I've never read a Clive Hustler book, and I know he's extremely popular, extremely prolific. I think I have something to learn from this author. Yeah, I'm just about finished Memory Man by David Baldacci. Is that how you say his name? Oh, yes. I've read a few of his books. Yep. And I'll have a lot to say about it, but okay. it's not it's not as bad as James Patterson. Like I did not <laughs> I did not enjoy James Patterson at all. This one at least I'm enjoying, but it is, again, like junk food. It's like just sitting there and eating a whole thing of Oreos. Like a Dan Brown kind of book? Well, I don't know. See, the difference with Dan Brown, I I fell in love with Dan Brown, that first book, which was what? Da Vinci Code. I've been rereading Da Vinci Code, and I'm enjoying it a lot. And the reason why, and I think you and I both read this or knew about it, uh, is there's a book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff that Dan Brown talked about is possible in his world that he's creating. Like a lot of this stuff is based on some historic things. And I enjoyed that about it. Then when I tried to read other Dan Brown books, I I recognized his formula way too quickly and lost interest. Yes. Well, he he really taught me and something I know I try to do with my books is to leave each chapter with a bit of a cliffhanger. Oh, he's great at that. He's great at that. And sometimes that technique becomes too obvious. But I think there's a lot to learn from a, a, a writer like Dan Brown. He's kind of the opposite of an Anne Rice. Yeah. It, it, like a Dan Brown or maybe James Patterson. I only read one of his books. Um, and I agree. I was kind of like, eh. I did love his uh, master class, though. I, that was fun. But I'm going to take that one next, I think. Yeah, it's really good. Because I just finished the David Baldacci. Uh, Baldacci? Mm-hmm. I finished his master class and I enjoyed oh, okay. it. Okay, wow. But what I learned from watching his master class is that he does a ton of research for what he's doing, like literally binders and binders and binders of information that he won't even use in the book, but it's there for his head. So when he's writing, it's overwhelming watching that. Yeah, that's his personal. But. And I I can get into, I think the book is fun, but it's one of those things that I guarantee you, if I go pick up another one of his books, it's going to feel exactly the same. Yeah. And those books, I I don't, like, I learned, like you said, uh, the short chapters I'm seeing from him as well as uh, James Patterson, but character, there's a lot to be desired. Yeah. Well, that's like, I love Anne Rice, and I'm in, when I'm in the mood to read Anne Rice, I'll, I'll read Anne Rice because her characters are so amazing, and it, her writing is so beautiful and intricate, and like gorgeous lace and filigree, and it has that very New Orleans kind of feel. But the, 
I mean, she just never writes a plot, you know? So it's frustrating sometimes to read her work. I mean, not say never, but she doesn't write, she doesn't really plot. I think she she would admit that. But I learned from her about how to slow down and and add a beautiful descriptions and to to ease into the writing and not just always be rushing to the next plot point so yes. i think reading uh for me reading widely includes reading the books that i have to read for my book club well i don't have to read them which are books that i would not necessarily choose like there was one book from my local book club the last book we read was a it was a translation from jap a japanese book called Until the Coffee Gets Cold. Have you heard about this book? No. To me, it was more like, I don't know. It's kind of like those bestsellers that, and I'm going to sound like a snob here, but like the Oprah Book Club recommendations, oh. they appeal to a wide audience. Mm -hmm. Like Tuesdays with Maury. It's that kind of stuff with this kind of home, home, uh, homey, I guess is the word I'm looking for, uh, advice and everyone it's like feel good kind of stuff or it's that what eat, laugh, pray or whatever that is. Yes. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Remember in a, one of our bookworms, we have the worm eating the yes. <laughs> Charlie did a great, that was his idea too. I didn't come up with that, but I, I howled with laughter, right? The eat, laugh, pray. In fact, I was listening to, uh, and, and here's a confession about how much, what kind of books I read. I have a, a little bit of an obsession with the Royal family. So I was, I, I I've wasted a lot of my audible credits on, <laughs> rural family stuff so i was reading i was listening to uh prince harry's spare which is really really pretty silly but he said you know and it's he's narrating it so he has that posh you know accent but he's like i'm not an intellectual like megan she reads books like laugh live pray or whatever it's called and i was like honey that's not intellectual i think your your eaton education was wasted on you I will say, I think Eat, Pray, Love, is that the Oh, book? Eat, Pray, Love. I don't know. I'm looking to see if this is... Yeah, so here's my my thing I have to say, though. I never okay. read I never read Eat, Play, Lo Pray, Me, Love. Neither have I, and I'm already putting it down. But And it's by Elizabeth Gilbert, who I okay. think wrote one of the best books on creativity. Oh, okay. Called, now I feel bad. Called Big <laughs> Magic. Don't feel bad. I'm saying that I, I also feel this eat, pray, love thing. And it's it's because it gets to a place. It's called One Woman's Search for Everything Across Italy, India, and in Indonesia. It might be amazing. I mean, it right. put it, her on the map. It's a memoir. It's not a right. fiction. But she wrote a book called Big Magic, and I would advise everybody to read it. It's a great book. I don't know anything about eat, pray, love. But I know what you mean. But Oprah, if you're listening... <laughs> Uh, and Maury, if you're listening, you know, we still want yeah. you to come on the show and talk to us about writing. I think Maury's dead, but okay. <laughs> we no, will do a seance. That, it's that kind of, right. Uh, it's that kind of thing that appeals to everyone. I always think like it's the kind of, it's the kind of book that appeals to new town moms. Yeah. Those moms of that are home and they go to the uh, salon all day. Yeah. And I don't know what that means, but that that's, that's who I think of. But let's yeah, jump we're, back we're to. Probably being, uh, we're being. I don't uh, care. Trashy book snobs. Yeah, okay. I'm not I being a book agree. snob. Like I said, it's not that. It's just that there is a demographic that sort of enjoys that, and that demographic I'm not a big fan of. Not the not necessarily the books. I, I hear what you're saying. I'm yeah. being a people snob, I guess. Okay. They all have white. By the way, that's like the most popular color of cars in Newtown is white. It's like every I, one I of them drive white. I know what you mean. White. It's like the kind of Karen type of group. Yes, exactly. That's the group, the Karens. And nobody will think us wrong for saying that. <laughs> Joyce Carol Oates says that in sports, they say you should always compete with someone more skilled than you. Uh, and it forces you to rise to the occasion, basically. This is something I'm going to start doing. Because I have tried to read Ulysses by James Joyce before. Oh, wow. And she says, hey, if you read Ulysses, chances are your vocabulary will improve. Or if nothing else, you will want your vocabulary to improve. And like I said, I have tried to read I've that before. Read I've read other James Joyce. It's very difficult. Yeah. But then I was thinking, you know what? I'm not necessarily going to read it to finish it. Mm -hmm. I mean, eventually I will, I guess, because it's a big book. But just to see, 
Here's the thing I don't understand, and it seems to be why you do read, is somehow you absorb what you're reading and that comes out in your writing. Mm-hmm. But it feels magical. Like I don't I can't pinpoint exactly like do you read and be like, oh, that's great. I'm gonna write that sentence down so I remember to use something like that. Not really. I right. do keep I do have like a reading I don't always use it, but I have I started a reading journal. Uh, for this express purpose, where if I, if something's really good sentence, I'll write it down, but I, I make sure I put it in quotes. So I don't, you know, accidentally Think plagiarize that sentence, <laughs> but I will reference it. And I, like, I, I mean, you mentioned, and it's funny because you pulled this quote and I remember writing down this quote, even though I know you didn't like the book, I'm talking about ghost story by Peter Straub. You pulled that quote about the gray, the grace, uh, unfurled, like a, like a, uh, gray fabric or something what do you remember what yeah, I don't remember about? what it was but I know but what you, you mean read it and it was I remember when I read that thinking wow that's a great analogy what an incredible metaphor or whatever it was and I wrote it down and then you you used it when you were given your quote about it so things like that yeah you can stick with me you cannot like a book but learn a ton from a book yeah, and you finished it, right? Yeah, a ghost story, I learned a lot, actually. What I learned from ghost story, even though um, there overall I was not a fan of it, but I loved his locations and his descriptions of those locations, especially the stuff that felt. Like, it made me feel like I was outside at night in a very cold blizzard. Yep. It was described so well. It, it was very atmospheric. Yes. It, it's, it's great. I need to uh, read, I don't know, I feel like I need to read uh, a more, like, l- longer books. Like, that's my thing. I'm very impatient. So when I, I p- pick up a book that's like 500 pages, I get like, ugh, you know, I want to I rush through it. And I'm the same way. I think a lot of people are. And I don't know how to slow down with some of them. Mm-hmm. Like, the the... Baldacci book is 400 and some pages long and I'm almost finished it, but it feels too long. Okay. Yeah. The thing you learn from short books as well is brevity. Mm -hmm. How can you tell that story in 200 pages? Catcher in the Rye is a very thin book. But with a lot of meat on the bone. Yeah. Joyce Carol Oates also suggests reading early Ernest Hemingway short stories. Okay. He writes very short like sentences and his dialogue's great. Isn't there some kind of software called Hemingway? Is there? That sounds familiar, yeah. That can take your prose and turn it into a very sparse Hemingway style? Something like that. Hmm. If you grab one of his short stories and read it, there's no word you're not going to understand unless it's a word that's like slang from that time period. Like I noticed I look up a word that has, or it's something related to sailing and I don't know that part of the boat or something. But overall, he doesn't use big words. Yeah, I mean, I just read, I read a a really good, I I mentioned this on my latest YouTube uh, video. I read a really good adventure story. It was for my Gothic Hearts reading challenge that I'm doing. So I'm reading Gothic romance this month. And one of the choices that we had, and I'm doing with a couple other people on YouTube, was read a gothic romance set in an exotic location. So I chose a book that I had on my shelf called Black Orchid, which takes place in the Amazon. It wasn't really gothic. It was more like an Indiana Jones adventure story, but it was great. Yeah. Like it was so, so much fun. And it was book that was written in the early seventies and no one's ever heard of it now, you know, and it's, it's a book that it has very few reviews on, on Goodreads. It's pretty much forgotten. But what a great story. It was just so much fun. It was a great adventure. So I, I learned from reading books like that. And also, I do like classics. Like, uh, I've been wanting to read Ivanhoe and things like that. And and going to really get into, like, an old a good old-fashioned classic. I, have, I, I do struggle with classics if the language feels foreign to me. And I get it's in English, but you know what I mean. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's the part where I struggle with certain novels or short stories is if it feels like I have to pause to figure out what this sentence means. 
Yeah, or some of the references. A good example of something that's not old but is a classic is Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah. Now, that's a book that has a glossary in the back because you don't know (laughs) what all the words mean. And that really made me struggle. Those are books that I think if you're going to read, I think you're going to have to read it more than once to really appreciate it. What's great about reading on Kindle, which I don't do as much, is that you can tap on the word and it will give you the, the, the illusion or the definition or whatever it is. I mean, the only time I struggle with something like that is if sometimes there'll be French phrases in some of the older books I read. And I'm like, oh, what the hell does that mean? But if I take the time to look it up, I'm always like, oh, that's cool. Ooh la la. I, Ooh na- la la. No, I'm talking about like, not words that I don't understand. I get that. That's you tap on it or you can look it up. I have a dictionary app. In Clockwork Orange, they have stuff like the droogs, right? Oh, right. And yeah. um, what they call balls is something else. <laughs> Bollocks? No, no. It's not an act. That's what I'm saying. These are words that the, that Anthony Burgess, I think his name is, he made them up. Yeah. So no one knows what they are unless you look at the back. Um, You know, it's all these words that you don't understand. So it was hard for me to like sit there and enjoy it. Cause I'm like, every second I had to go in the back and say, okay, what is droogies? What is, yeah. you know, this word. Um, but I could see where that would happen. Yeah. But you know, that's rare. But at the same time, I read something like this Patterson or Baldacci and they don't use any, I mean, it's probably written on a like fourth grade level, mm-hmm. these books, which is why they're popular. Again, uh, yes. I'm going to sound like a snob, but it's the fact. It's the fact. <laughs> yeah, and so, I, I what I learned from that is that, and this is a great lesson, is that you don't have to be a snob to write a great like to write something that sells. Like, no, it doesn't have to be every other word is a five dollar word, and it doesn't have to be flowy. Now, I prefer to make beautiful prose, mm-hmm. um, but it's not necessary for everything. Like sometimes you want to just get whatever it is across in as little and easy as as possible. Well, I I think a a sign of amateur writing is when the writer's trying to be too fancy, for lack of a better word. uh, Or, and I see this sometimes. It's just like just write simple sentences is the is the better way to go. And then when you have those moments of inspiration where oh, I can really slide a nice metaphor in here. Do it. Yeah. But don't try to do it on every line or you're going to lose your reader. That's another thing when reading for writing metaphors. Mm-hmm. I love a good metaphor. And me too. Like some of them just stop me and I'm like, oh, that's good. I got to highlight that or I got to write it down. Um, I love the first line in Neuromancer. I think I brought that up before, but let me get it. The sky above the port was the color of television tuned to a dead channel. Oh, yeah, I like that. I do too, but I don't think anybody would get it if they're under a certain age because like, what's a dead channel? (laughs) What's TV What's television? Well, I mean, how many times have we seen horror movies where you just see a gloved hand cut the telephone line? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those damn cell phones, you got to drop them in Yeah, you got to take out the satellites. You got to take out the satellites. You got to get rid of them. Even back in the early days of cell phones, it was like, oh, we're out of range. Yeah. You don't even, you can't even do that anymore. That's also a great way uh, when you're reading to write. How do they deal with those things? That's another thing Mm -hmm. I love to see. Like if I'm reading something and I'm in this world where it's a present day thing, the first thing you're going to want to know is how are they getting rid of these things like cell phones? How are they Mm -hmm. disabling them? You know, it's a lot of times it's out of range or it's broken and things like that. Now, I had the story I'm working on, Fear of Clowns. As it happens, this situation that happens, his phone starts to swell and heat up. And this, working in this industry, I know exactly that that does happen. So okay, I use. So you're an expert on iPhones. Yeah, but that's it's still something that happens pretty regularly where batteries swell. And then mm-hmm. it pops and they heat up and they get so hot you got to drop it. And I've heard these stories a lot. So I did it, but I'm also to to avoid the fact that, oh, it's quite a coincidence. But I'm like, well, there is a supernatural thing happening here. So it's like in Close Encounters when the radio started going wonky 
Yep. You know, that's kind of what I'm doing here is he's in a situation where there's crazy activity happening and his phone just swells. Now, that's something you could think could have happened for real or was it? I don't answer that question, but, you know, it's part of what, how he can't call 911 right away. Yeah. And well, I like I, I finished watching uh, True Detective, the latest. Oh, don't spoil anything. Oh, I won't. I won't. It's really good. But I, I it's not spoiling anything to tell you that, you know, it's all t- it. Because it's in the dark season yeah. in Alaska, that it's it's really the the way they depict the atmosphere is great, but everything is uh, dark. So the darkness is part of the story that works because we buy it because we know it's based on reality. Even though a lot of the stuff in the in the show feels like supernatural, yeah, the fact that they can be uh, the lights can go out is a reality and. And and maybe they don't get the best electricity in certain parts of this atmosphere. It's really great. Yeah, you yeah. got to finish watching. It's very good. Oh, I am. But yeah, reading. And so I, I would also add uh, to reading wide widely can be like going to something I do every once in a while. Is I go to the library and I just select books I don't I've never heard of, and most library books are go, like I'm talking fiction are going to be more of the bestseller, like the Baldacci, Balducci kind of books. But I'll just randomly choose something. In fact, when I was a kid, my dad would drop us off at the library every week, and he would go to the bar, Kelly's Bar in Dolestown, and watch whatever game it was, and we would be in the library. And every week we would choose new books. And I would do this thing where I would close my eyes and spin and pick a book that way, just touch a random book, so I kind of still do that when I go to the library and it makes me read newer fiction because that is my thing. I don't, I tend to not read newer fiction. I tend to read stuff from the 1970s, eighties or older. And so challenging myself to read newer fiction is, is part of my reading plan, but also reading what I would call high, low, like read the Patterson book, but then read a classic, you know, read, a. Gustave Flaubert or Flaubert, I couldn't remember the name, well, uh, you know, Madame Bovary, something like a true classic or a, a Emile Zola or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I think that when you do that high-low, you instantly pick up what you like and what you don't like and why you don't like it. Or, you mm-hmm. know, it starts to make more sense of why this book appeals to the masses because it's very easy to read. It's a page-turner uh, you don't have to know much uh, versus something that might be a little bit more challenging. Most people are not going to enjoy that maybe if they aren't into that type of thing. Now, Joyce Carol Oates is probably going to sue me because I'm giving okay. away her master class. <laughs> her secrets. But she says exactly what you just said. And I love, ah. I love that like you have this and it's like, ah, this is exactly what I was going to bring up. So she calls it two kinds of reading. The first is called spontaneous reading, which is what you just described. Going in, picking out any book, maybe it's the book cover, just picking something up that you might feel like you'd be interested in it. Also, she calls it like pleasure reading. You're just kind of curious about it and you want to see if you can have fun with this book. The other type of reading is kind of what you're talking about with the high-low is systematic reading, which you thoughtfully choose your reading material. And you could just say, well, I'm going to look at Ernest Hemingway, as we brought up before, and I'm going to learn about brevity and dialogue. So those are two different types of reading. And I definitely do both. Like, I'm, I am somebody who judges a book by its cover. If I love a cover, that's how I got into Grady Hendrix, because I think his, uh, my best friend's exorcism, Right. Had that VHS cover. Oh, I love that cover. I was like, I, I don't I care. I gave you that book, didn't I? No, you gave me. I gave you. I thought I gave no, you. No, we sold our souls, I think you gave me. Oh, okay. Because I remember buying the Exorcism one at Barnes & Noble because of oh, that okay. cover. And I was like, I don't care if I like this book or not. This cover is so good, it's got to be on my shelf. Yeah, a book, a book cover is is important. It's really important. And I, I, I buy a lot of my pre-made covers ahead of time. And then write the story to match the cover sometimes. Because, like, Carney was kind of like that. I'm like, I, I bought that cover, and I'm like, I need a, there's got to be a chainsaw. <laughs> and so I put <laughs> a chainsaw in. 
Yeah, so let's uh, close up. But I think the most important uh, thing. Oh, do you have something to say? No, just I, I'm just shocked that our hour went by so oh, fast. Oh, it flew We're by. About so much fun. Yeah. So what we want you to take away is read a lot and learn from what you're reading. Uh, but also enjoy it. Like, don't make it a chore because then you're not going to want to read. To but it's going to help you. And I have seen, like I said earlier, it feels m- magical or mysterious of how it helps you. Yes. Because you don't it, think about it; it just happens. Yeah, it's and so like when you read, you're not conscious of reading. It just if you're if you're in that flow state, you're reading, and this picture's in your head, and you're just with the story. What I've been doing recently is if I see some so i'm writing something currently so when i'm reading something that's something comes up that's very similar to what i'm writing like maybe it's the the snow on the ground or mm-hmm. has somebody leaving or walking into a place i've been trying to i i notice it and i'm like huh this is how they addressed this and this is how they handled it because yeah. it's very similar to what i'm doing currently so i think it helps to write every day while you're reading the same day because then you're like oh i'm working on this and here's how they did it right right and and like challenge yourself like i i I really think uh, donna tart is an amazing writer and she uh i remember in the secret history a book i've read many times i never forgot this one metaphor she uses because the one character is uh ends up like dying and he's he's where in an earlier scene he has a a pack of like lucky, I don't know. I think it's lucky strikes. The one with the target. I think that's lucky strike. Yeah. Yeah. In his breast pocket. So we, it's, it's like foreshadowing. He has a target on his in, chest. Over, yeah. Over, over on his chest. So, and then later you see, Oh, I see what she did there. So that's really advanced writing, but if you can put a little bit of that into your writing, it's going to be just, it's going to bring it up to another level. And so I like, there's, simplistic storytelling and then there's complex storytelling right. and both are legit but i do like your idea of having a sort of notebook when you're reading because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff you'll forget so if it's yeah. something that involved i would write that down um or write things that you found very interesting because i can't remember stuff if you can then fine but i'm very very bad at remembering things yeah i mean you don't want it to feel like a school assignment right but i also think taking notes especially in a like if I were to read uh, Ulysses, which I never have, I, I do love the Dubliners. I just I just did a, a video where I, I read um, The Dead. It was my Christmas video. Love that book. And I've read Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. I just never read the more advanced stuff. I feel like I would probably want to take a class mm. either online or, on, or at a school or something to help me with that book. Because yeah. I, I think it would be really tough so sometimes you do need to be in that place where you treat it more like um, academic assignment. Right. But also just read for pleasure. That's what it's all yeah. about. And you don't have to go read Ulysses. Don't think that's some kind of requirement. Like, I'm just saying this is what Joyce Carol Oates was just talking about. If you did, she doesn't expect you to ever sound like that. It, she, what she's saying is that um, you're kind of picking up on things. That's like mm-hmm. kind of you're seeing how other people do it, and that will help you in your writing. So let me close with a writing assignment that Joyce Carol Oates, I'm going to get sued, has for this chapter of her masterclass. So here it goes. Reread one of your favorite short stories. In the margins of the page or in your class notebook, make notes on its formal qualities. And what she means by that is like how they have the story structured? Does it have chapters? How are those chapters divided? Are they long paragraphs? What's the title? How's the title fit in? Like what, is this first person? Is it like chronologically or is it mixed up? So make notes of that and then make sure to ask yourself, among other things, how does the title function in the work? How long, yeah. How are, how long are the story's paragraphs? Are there subsections or chapters are events chronological? How is the dialogue treated? Note any formal choices the author makes. You'll be able to come back to this set of notes as a resource for your own writing. So, so that, formal meaning form. Yes. Yes. Right. I, I don't know what we'll do next week, but you and I can discuss. Maybe some suggestions in the comments. 
That's true. If you want to send some suggestions in the comments, or you can send a DM on Instagram. If you have a suggestion, let us know. And also, if you enjoy this, review the podcast and let us uh, have a five-star rating, and we'd be very appreciative. Cause we sure would. Really, it's all about you guys, and we need some help. It's all for you, Damien. I was watching The Omen. <laughs> oh my god, that's night. one of the best scenes. <laughs> well, Joe and I were watching it, and we had we started. We watched about half, and then I'm going to go back and watch the rest. It's so good. Yeah, it's that, such a great film. It is, and it's it has like a a great. There's some wonderfully artistic shots, like the goldfish bowl falling and. It's so good. It's really well done. And it creeped me out when I was a kid, and it still oh, kind of yeah. creeps me out. So I'm reading all of, I'm, I'm watching all three Omen, re watching all three Omen, and, and reading the, we were talking about the film to, I mentioned the Omen, uh, the, the film to novel adaptations, the novelizations. I'm reading yeah. all of those, and I'll be doing a video next month sometime about that. But was the yeah. Omen a book before it was a movie or no? I don't think so. I think it was. I think it was an answer to first. The Exorcist, right? Like The Exorcist yeah. came out, and then they're like, "We got to do something like this." And but it's very. I know they're doing a re another remake of The Omen. I think there was a wasn't there. A there was. Remember, it was today? June six. Uh, six six six. Yeah, what was no. it? <laughs> it was that was the thing. It was some six six six. June six of twenty. It was June six of two thousand six. Yeah. Six. Yeah. So silly. So silly. All right. Well, let's get going, and we'll be okay. back next week. Good chatting with you. All right. Well, have, have a good reading week.